I invite you to please turn in your copy of Scripture to our text for this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20, as we read about the only sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that we have, and that is Christ alone. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. There we read, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And when we think about promises, we often think about how great promises are, but also perhaps we might think about how we've experienced broken promises. Perhaps you can remember this morning, a time when you failed uh, to keep your word. Or I'm sure we can all remember a time in our lives this morning when someone failed to keep their promise to us. It's painful. And it usually leads to uh, broken relationships and to uh, distrust. The writer of Hebrews, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to assure the Hebrews and to assure us that God is not sinful like us. He keeps his promises. God keeps his word. And because of this, you and I can be certain. You and I can have assurance in our faith in Jesus Christ. We can have assurance in the Lord. Even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of illness, and all the difficulties that come our way on a daily basis in this life, you and I must continue to trust God because his word is certain and our salvation in Christ is secure. And the writer of the Hebrews, again, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us three uh, reasons for certainty this morning. As we see our first point, we have certainty because of God's oath there in verses 13 through 17. In these verses, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about the promise or covenant that God made with Abraham. It was a promise that God repeated over and over in Scripture in order to assure Abraham of its truth. And this morning, we're going to begin by mapping out this promise that God gives to, gave to Abraham in Genesis 
by reading several portions of Scripture. So I encourage you uh, to follow along in the readings if you are able. And we first see uh, and read about God's promise to Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. What we see here is God's promise to Abraham. We see that it was a gracious promise. Abraham, who was still called Abram at this time, he did not deserve to be given such blessings, such promises from the Lord. He was just as sinful as those around him. And yet God, we read, God chose Abraham to be the one by whom blessings would be extended to all nations of the world. And we read here in Genesis 12 that God promised two things very specifically to Abraham. He promised Abraham a land, and he also promised him a family. And not just any family, but a large family, a family that would span generations, that would span cultures and borders. It would be a family that would be too numerous to count. A family that would ultimately inhabit the land that God would provide. A family that would end up blessing the entire world. And God repeated these promises to Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. We read in these verses, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see here in Genesis 15 that God repeated his covenant promise to Abraham, a promise that we see even Abram had questions about. God, he says, you're promising me a, a large family, but I don't have any children yet, and I'm old. My wife, Sarah, is old. What we see, loved ones, is despite the seeming impossibility of it all, we read that Abram believed God. That Abram believed the promise of the birth of a descendant, believed the promise of an heir. 
And the Apostle Paul explains Abram's faith at this point in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. We, in a sense, get an insight into Abram's heart and mind at this time. We read there in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but we read there, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so we know that the promise Abraham believed came to pass. God blessed Abraham with, uh, and his wife with a son, even in their old age, a son whom they named Isaac. What had seemed impossible, according to man, was shown to be possible because of the great power, because of the faithfulness of God. Can you imagine the joy in Abraham's household when Isaac was born? As Sarah and Abraham looked upon Isaac, the promised one, now in the flesh, Isaac was born. The child of the promise, a promise that Abraham waited 25 years to see fulfilled, a promise that he longed for those many decades to see fulfilled. And so this is why when we consider this promise that was given to Abraham in his lifetime and fulfilled in his lifetime, partially fulfilled, we might say. This is why Genesis 22 is such a startling surprise. Because it's in, in Genesis chapter 22 that we see, as we read this morning, God tested Abraham's faith by commanding him to sacrifice Isaac, to sacrifice the son of the promise, the one whom Abraham and Sarah had waited so long for, now God was demanding that he be sacrificed. And Abraham, we see, rather than doubting God's word, he continued to trust God completely. We read from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19, during our first reading, how Abraham, there, obedient to the Lord's command, was about to follow through, in obedience and faith, and sacrificing his son. When we read there, even as he was going through with the sacrifice of his son, we read what Abraham, again, was considering in his heart and mind. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, explained to us, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That Abraham had such faith in God that he believed that even if Isaac were to be sacrificed, God could resurrect him, that the promise would still go forth. But we know, loved ones, that on that mountain, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. And then he rewarded 
Abraham's faithfulness by swearing an oath to him. We read about this oath in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18, where God, after he saw Abraham's faith, we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so, loved ones, it's this oath that the writer of Hebrews refers to in our passage this morning. If you consider what an oath is, you have to understand that an oath is, is not just a promise, but it's an appeal to a deity or a greater authority than the person making the oath. And the idea is that the, the God or the deity or the greater authority then is called as a witness to one's determination to keep the promise being made. See, the idea behind it, again, is that if the oath is broken, the wrath of that deity or that greater authority will fall upon the oath breaker. So we, when we think about oaths, we are very familiar with, with what oaths are. You know, we take oaths before God as a church after we see our covenant children baptized. If you know the familiar question that I pose to you as a church after a child is baptized, where I say, brothers and sisters, I charge you with the following. As those faithful servants of God, beloved in Christ and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child? Please indicate your affirmative response by raising your right hand. And then we raise our right hand as a covenant family. And in response, I say, God is our witness, our witness to what we have promised before him. We take this oath before God as a church on a regular basis. And those of us who are married this morning, we are also familiar with oaths. We take vows before God to commit to our spouses on our wedding day. In fact, marriage vows are one of the best examples we have of lawful and godly oaths in our church and even in our society. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 22, it deals at length with this subject. And so what we see when God makes an oath to Abraham, what God does is he rewards Abraham's faith by adding to his promise his oath. He makes an oath to Abraham in addition to the promise that he had already repeated as we saw in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, which we didn't read this morning, he adds to his promise his oath. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Genesis chapter 22 to explain the importance of this oath that God adds to his promise. We read in our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 17. 
for when God made a promise to Abraham. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. See, the writer of the Hebrews points out that God has no one greater to swear by than himself. And so what God did for Abraham is he takes the oath on his own name. God, in essence, says to Abraham, I both promise and I swear to you to fulfill my word to you. Why would God, loved ones, do such a thing? God doesn't need to take oaths. His word is always true. He always fulfills his promise. So why then would he both promise and swear to Abraham about the certainty of his word? Why would he do that? We read the answer in verse 17. So when God desired again to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Loved ones, we see here that God's oath and promise were not just for Abraham, but also for the heirs of the promise. And who are the heirs of the promise made to Abraham? You and I. We are the heirs of the promise. Paul says this in our reading this morning from Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, loved ones, the reason that the writer of Hebrews shows us the example of Abraham is to teach us what it means to wait patiently and what it means to persevere in our faith. Abraham, who is one of the most respected of the forefathers in Judaism, Abraham, who is the example of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham was that one who received the promise and yet, he had to wait decades in order to see the promise fulfilled. And then even when it was fulfilled, it was fulfilled only partially because Abraham had only one son. And remember, God promised Abraham a huge family. And yet, there was only Isaac during Abraham's lifetime. Abraham did not see the complete fulfillment that God will ultimately give in fulfilling his promise. Abraham did not see the billions of Christians that would call him Father Abraham throughout the centuries. And yet despite the waiting we see with Abraham's life, despite the trials, the many difficulties that Abraham faced, what we see is that he persevered in his faith. He trusted the promise. Loved ones, this morning, if Abraham had reason 
to trust God and remain faithful, you and I have even greater reason to trust in the Lord, to believe in God's promises. Friends, you and I have the benefit of thousands of years after Abraham of living in this age and seeing God's promises to Abraham fulfilled in redemptive history. Abraham saw it partially fulfilled. You and I are seeing the fulfillment come to pass over the centuries since Abraham lived. You and I can see this morning as we look back, as we read our Bibles, we can see the promise fulfilled through Isaac and how it was then fulfilled in Jacob's life and his 12 sons, how God brought them to Egypt and there in Egypt multiplied Abraham's family and then he brought them out of Egypt with miracles, the mighty hand and an outstretched arm, that familiar refrain in the book of Exodus and how he provided for them and he cared for them. And then from Israel, from this nation, God brought forth his son, the Lord Jesus, who by his death, resurrection, and ascension would bring blessing to all the nations, that promise that was also given to Abraham, blessing to you and to me. You know, it's amazing to think this morning that that night, centuries ago, millennia ago, that night when God took Abraham out under that dark sky. And as we read in Genesis 15, as God said, Abraham, look at the sky and look at how many stars are there. Abraham, he said, look toward heaven and try to start numbering each of those stars. If, he says, you are even able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Loved ones, it's amazing to think that God on that night thousands of years ago was pointing to us, was explained to Abraham about you and I today that we are multiplied. We are his descendants. We are the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. We are his spiritual offspring. You and I, loved ones, have the blessing of seeing how God's promise and oath were fulfilled in Christ, in time, in the fullness of time. And you and I who believe are evidence this morning of God's sure word. And so just as Abraham believed God and obtained the promise, you and I are to believe God. We're to press on and persevere in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, assured that God will keep his word to us just as he kept his word to Abraham. We have certainty because of God's oath. Secondly, we see we have certainty because God does not change. We read there in verse 18. And I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, just for context. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The writer to the Hebrews says that you and I have certainty of salvation because of God's oath and promise. But as we said, a promise is only 
as good as the person making it. So many of us have experienced broken promises, have perhaps broken our promises to others. And yet God is different from us loved ones. God does not break his promises. God keeps his word. A promise is only as good as the person making it. You know, if a car salesman makes you a promise, you better get it in writing, right? It's only as good as the person making it. And so what we see in our passage here is that the certainty of God's oath and promise, these two unchangeable things, are based on his own character. And so we're, as we consider our certainty in salvation, we're con- to consider not just God's historical record that he keeps his promises, but we're also to consider his own character, his very nature. When we think about that, we ask ourselves, what is God like? One of the attributes we see in God is that he is unchangeable. He is unchangeable in his covenant faithfulness. Again, though we often break our covenant with him by our sins, he is faithful to his covenant with us. This is why when God says in Malachi Chapter 3, verse 6, he says there, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What is he saying? He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, because of my changelessness with regard to my covenant faithfulness, I am a covenant keeper. Because of that, Jacob, because of that, you are not consumed. He's telling Israel that he will surely fulfill his covenant promises despite their covenant unfaithfulness. He is the Lord of the covenant. He will never forsake his people. We read the same in Micah chapter 7, verses 19 through 20. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. As you have made that oath to our fathers, you will keep that oath because you are unchangeable in your covenant faithfulness. And God's unchanging covenant faithfulness, loved ones, is made even more evident for us in Psalm 89 where we read in verses 34 through 35, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. And so friends, our comfort today and every day is that as God was with Abraham and his people throughout the ages, he will continue to be with us in Jesus Christ, his promises will not change. Why? Because they are founded upon an unchanging triune God. One who is forever sure, forever true. We have certainty because of his oath. We have certainty because of his nature. Thirdly, we see we have certainty because of Christ's accomplished work. We read verses 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, 
where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Loved ones, as we take a step back from our text, we consider how gracious God is to add certainty upon certainty, to give us now this very great certainty of our salvation. Why? Because of Christ's accomplished work. The reality that our certainty is founded upon Christ himself. And I love, as we look at our text, I love the imagery that the Holy Spirit gives us through the writer here to explain that certainty, that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. What is an anchor? What does that imagery mean? What does it elicit in your mind? We think of an anchor and its purpose is as a ship is out at sea, the idea that is that the anchor is dropped and it keeps that ship from moving further in the sea. As that anchor is dropped and it finds firm ground, it finds bedrock, and there it plants itself, and the idea is that it is to hold that ship secure. And this same imagery now is applied to Christian hope our hope and assurance in Christ. The hope set before us in this passage is Christ himself, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, that Jesus Christ is our hope, says Paul. And so because our hope is Christ, he is the solid rock that will hold us fast. While all other ground is sinking sand, Christ is our firm foundation. See, in this world, we are bombarded by the storms of life, by the raging seas of suffering and of pain, by the rising tides of opposition and of persecution. And so, loved ones, isn't it such a great comfort to know that our anchor is not grounded in this life? The writer of Hebrews reminds us that our anchor is in Christ Himself. In fact, when we see the imagery here in, in verses 19 through 20, our anchor we see in, of Christian hope doesn't go down, but in a sense we see it goes up. It ascends to heaven and it enters into the inner place behind the curtain where the Lord Jesus is. See verse 19 where he says the inner place behind the curtain? That is a reference to the Holy of Holies. It's a reference to the place of God's presence in the tabernacle and the temple. The place where only the high priest of Israel could enter once a year in order to atone for sin. See the imagery now for us who are in Christ. Because of Christ's atoning work, because of his living a perfect life and dying an atoning death for our sins, he has entered that heavenly sanctuary behind the curtain. And what he does is he now provides access to you and to me, to all those who trust in him in faith. He now provides access for us to the very presence of God. He is the one who has gone before us as a forerunner. He has gone before us to open up the way for us, and he is there 
reigning and ruling, interceding, and he will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead. And the sure and steadfast anchor of our Christian hope is there with him, not on these shifting sands that we find in this world, in this life, but in the eternal hope that we have in Christ. The Puritan Samuel Rutherford said, Our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread as I imagine so, or it is likely, but our hope is hung upon the cable, the strong rope of our fastened anchor. It is hung upon the oath and promise of him who is eternal truth. Our salvation is fastened with God's own hand and Christ's own strength to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature. That is the ground of our certainty. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that so clearly explains to us the way of salvation and the certainty we have in Christ our Savior. We humbly ask this morning that you might grant us steadfastness and perseverance as we run the race marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is our forerunner, who has gone before us to secure the victory. Lord, we look forward this morning with great joy in anticipation to that day when we, he will come again in glory, when our faith will be made sight. We thank you that until then we can have confidence that our salvation is anchored with your own hand and Christ's own strength to the strong stake of your unchangeable nature. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.